Welcome to the Exec MBA Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with Sarah Beauchamp and Nate Carlson. Sarah and Nate are first-year students in our Executive MBA class of 2023, and they are also recently elected leaders of the Executive Student Association. I recently connected with Sarah and Nate to talk a bit more about their backgrounds, how they decided to pursue an MBA, what led them to Darden, and how they decided to make student leadership part of their executive MBA student experience. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here is my interview with Sarah Beauchamp and Nate Carlson. Sarah, Nate, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Brett. Hey, Brett. Excited to be here. This is uh, for your podcast host here. Uh, this is one of these moments that's like a little bit surreal. Um, I've been interviewing some members of your class, and uh, we're now here. It's April 2022. You start to feel this weird kind of overlap thing that I remember both of you when you were prospective students, and this was the time of year where things really started to heat up as part of your pre-matriculation journey. And here you are, you're like basically almost a year into the program. And at least to me, it feels like it was just yesterday. We were on a town hall together or something like that, um, getting ready to start school in August. Does it feel that way to you, Sarah? Yes. I mean, I can't believe that we are coming up on our mid-program celebration in a few months. I mean, it's just absolutely flown by. Um, so I can't believe that we are yeah, approaching kind of the halfway mark. Um, it has been a whirlwind, but in the best way. Yeah, I got the calendar invite for that. It's on my calendar. It's, it's happening. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's real. <laughs> Nate, how about for you? Does it does it feel like you know just like like that? Um, you are you're now in roughly a year into the program. Definitely, it's it's wild to think that. I mean, I remember you saying in all the pre-matriculation stuff, you know, oh, tw- here's Twitty again talking about it's a marathon at a sprinter's pace and all this, and I'm like, okay, Twitty, like it's 22 months or 23 months, like I got you. But yet here we are, and I mean, it is we're about to start finals for Q4. And, um, I mean, it just rolls. It has been flying since LR1. I mean, it is just like gas, you know? So, um, it's, I, I've enjoyed the heck out of it, but yeah, it's flown by so far. Yeah. I think the key to it is you just don't have like long stretches of time where you're wondering like, what's the next thing that I'm going to do. It's sort of the momentum of the program. You just move from quarter to quarter. Every couple months, you get new classes. So, you know, have these new classes to negotiate. Then you take exams. And then around the time that you're doing all that, you get more classes. And, you know, it's just, it just keeps, keeps going. Um, and that, that's always been amazing to me. Um, and so quarter four, almost uh, to the mid, mid program point. And it's always fun to have that celebration. That's something that we've begun doing a little bit more as a program, recognizing that moment, taking that pause to say, Look at all that you've done over this year. So I'm looking forward to that. As I, I'm sure y'all probably even more than I'm looking forward to uh, to that. So, well, let's um, let's talk a little bit more about you, Sarah. How is everything? You doing okay? I am doing great. Yes, I. Um, it's been. I mean, Darden has just been the best experience that that I could have asked for. And you know, I think. For a little while, I'd been kind of hemming and hawing, you know, whether or not I was going to pull the plug and deciding whether or not to apply. Um, and when I finally, you know, made that decision to do so last year and decided I was going to go for it, you know, um, and then once, you know, getting accepted and then starting the program last August, it's just been the best decision I could have made. Um, and every day I'm so grateful that that I'm here um, 
and just absolutely enjoying every every minute. And as you say, like it's exciting that we're approaching the midpoint, but it, at the same time, there's this part of me that almost wants to slow down time because I feel like this is such a unique time of our lives that we'll never have again. And so I almost just want to slow down time because I, I think we're going to blink and it's going to be graduation for us next year, almost this time. Um, and I think I'm actually starting to get a little sad that it's the thought of it being over because it's just been such an incredible opportunity to meet some amazing people and learn from incredible faculty and and just have this amazing enriching experience. So trying to kind of slow down time a bit. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. We were talking with some of your classmates. And one of the things that we, we think a lot about is, you know, how to help prospective students understand the, the weekend experience. I think sometimes people look at it in there and I'm wondering about, you know, what students are doing in addition to class, because we talk a lot about class and there's a lot going on. Should note that before we got on the podcast, we were talking about, you know, a group of you going out to Nationals Park. Uh, this past uh, weekend. And one of the students in that call said, you know, how often at this juncture in your life do you get to come together with like 130, 135 people, you know, who are all in this place of like one interested in learning, interested in developing and growing. And you make all these new friends. Like it's not that easy to meet people in this world at this particular moment. And all of a sudden you've got this structure to it and it's an interesting group of people and they're all excited and you're going through this really profound thing together. That's so not no small thing. So, um, so your, your comments resonate, Sarah, Nate, how about you? How are you doing? I'm good. I am, uh, for the podcast listeners that have my accent placed somewhere in like the Midwest or, or the Northeast, I'm, I'm sitting in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, it is beautiful today, 80 degrees and sunshiny. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm good. Just been working and, and, you know, just steady at it, trying to finish up Q4 strong and get ready for Q5. I've got a global residency coming up to Argentina in a couple of weeks. So I'm really excited about that. Um, so yeah, just plugging along. Have you ever been to Argentina before? I have not. That's so exciting because we just had students travel. I've been talking with some full-time MBA students who went to Finland, Estonia. There's also um, executive MBA groups that went to Italy and Spain. Um, I think there's a group of executive MBA students who are going to be going to Germany. Uh, another yeah. group of executive MBA students, Finland, Estonia, um, and Argentina. I mean, it's great to have these trips going again. We went through a couple of years with the pandemic where the world just was not open to, to travelers and that story, at least right now, uh, has has changed a bit, and so it's been great having these groups of students get out there. In Argentina, I will say, just knowing um, a little bit about past experiences that Darden students have had in that country, uh, some portion of the trip typically focused on the wine industry uh, there. Um, I don't know, Nate, if you know anything about what you'll be doing yet, if Lottie Carr has revealed that to you, but uh, there's at least Darden relationships uh, with with uh, the folks in the wine industry in Argentina. That is what I have heard. And I am, uh, I am excited that we get to, to maybe partake uh, in some of the, the juice there in, in Mendoza and in and around that area. So yeah, I'm thrilled to see what Lottie does a phenomenal job on those trips. I went on the Spain trip in February and um, she just, I mean, they really, she works her tail off and, and provides us a, a great, uh, group set of experiences. And so I expect much the same in Argentina. It'll be a ton of fun. Definitely the lady to know if you're, if you're traveling, traveling the world, 
uh, with Darden. You're going to spend a lot of time with Lottie Carr. She is a real expert. I don't know her current country count, but to anybody who's curious about the Gimba format, just global residencies generally, uh, the global experiences available to both executive MBA and global executive MBA students would recommend the interviews that we've done here on the podcast with Lottie, Lottie Carr. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about your background. So Nate, you already said you're not outside of Philadelphia, as many of our listeners <laughs> might have guessed from your accent. Uh, you're actually in the, you know, in, in Birmingham, so-called Pittsburgh of the South, Magic City. Correct. That's um, right. So tell us a little bit more about, about your story. Who are you? What do you do? And, and what did you do before com- coming to Darden? Yeah, so um, like born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, went to school and graduated from the University of Alabama by way of the Air Force Academy. I was at the academy for two years um, and then ended up going to school in Tuscaloosa. Uh, While I was there, played football um, under a guy named Coach Saban, and we had a lot of success. Uh, We won two national championships while I was there, um, and so it was a tremendous amount of fun. Um, and then when I was graduating, uh, from school in Alabama, I really, you know, didn't know what I was going to do. It was like, what will you do after football? That's kind of been all I had done and, and football in school. And so it was like, I don't know what I'm going to do next and was kind of weighing some options and was fortunate to, uh, kind of have gotten to know and, 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 uh, be mentored a little bit by a guy, um, that had been really, really successful in the restaurant industry. His name is John Casmus and, uh, his family and, and himself had started a, a little restaurant brand called Zoe's Kitchen that they had grown and, and uh, sold it. And then it had gone public and, and all of that. And so he had spun off some different concepts post his exit at Zoe's. And I, uh, he approached me and was like, hey, I don't know if you'd be interested in working in the restaurant business at all and learning about it. But, you know, if you think you might like entrepreneurship and, and kind of go on your own entrepreneurial journey, like I think this might be working in a small business and a small growing company would be something that, that could really suit you well. And so started working for him as, as an hourly employee and um, just learning the business. And uh, like I said, we had two units at the time and we kind of started to grow those two concepts and my role continued to grow and expand. And I got the bug uh, to eventually do something on my own. And so um, in 2016, my wife and I opened uh, our own restaurant. It's a fast casual concept called Real and Rosemary. Uh, we focus on serving clean, healthy food, uh, seasonal ingredients, soup, salad, sandwiches, um, lean proteins, that type of deal. And then we have a, a coffee shop as well called Caveat Coffee. All in the Birmingham area, we're, we're in the process of opening our third location of uh, Real and Rosemary in Birmingham. And then we have uh, one coffee shop here in Birmingham as well. So that's kind of what I do day to day. I will admit, Nate, there was a part of me that when you said we're in the process of opening in our third location, I was waiting for you to say in Roslyn, uh, but that didn't happen. So I guess we'll have to. I don't mean to disappoint. Yeah, I, I believe me. If I could uh, plop a store down operationally and support it in Arlington, Roslyn, Georgetown, I, I would be there. I love that area. All right. Well, you know, if your podcast hosts dare to dream, uh, we'll we'll keep us posted. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll await further work. So, Sarah. Uh, tell us a little bit more uh, about your background and your story. What do you, what do you do? Sure. So it's funny, despite my sounding like I have a bit of a Southern accent and I love saying the word y'all, I do not live in the South, but I live up in New York City. 
Um, and so as soon as I, y'all comes out of my mouth, it's my clear giveaway that I am, I'm not originally from New York. Um, I was actually born in, born in Chicago and then moved to the Northern Virginia area, not too far from Roslyn, um, and lived there most of my life until I went to University of Virginia for undergrad. Um, and I actually graduated from the school of nursing. I was planning to go to medical school. Um, so I actually stayed in Charlottesville for a year after doing my nursing program and did a one year post back program to do all of my pre-med requirements. Um, and then after I finished that program, I had taken the MCAT, applied to med school, I ended up deferring med school for what I thought was going to be a year or two. Um, and that's when I moved up to New York City, where I currently live. Um, I had always wanted to live in New York, and I felt like this was my opportunity before starting you know, eight more years of school to move up to the city. And so I started doing research at Columbia and um, did Parkinson's research uh, there. And just kind of during that time, I did some soul searching and I realized that medicine wasn't the avenue that I wanted to pursue, but I did want to do something that was in the space of helping people and building relationships with people. I've also been really interested and passionate about health and wellness. Um, and so I was at a, a health and wellness event in New York and just by chance happened to meet these two women who were there. Um, they had just founded a company uh, called Sakara Life. And they were telling me a little bit about the company at the time, which it's a, a, a wellness company kind of anchored in the philosophy of food as medicine. So delivering meals and products that are gluten-free, plant-based, organic, uh, nationwide. And, you know, at the time, didn't really think too much about it other than I thought it was a really cool company. Um, and then fast forward six months, my research study ended and I was kind of at this crossroads of what's next. And I reached out to Danielle and Whitney, the two founders of Sakar Life. And I said, can I come work for you? And there was no job description, nothing. Um, and they brought me on as employee number five. And I was the first client service associate that they had just me at the time. Uh, and then fast forward now, I've been there seven and a half years and I now lead our client experience team. Um, so a team of 28 people. So it's grown a lot. And I've definitely, you know, worn a lot of hats over my time at Sakara and really been able to see a lot of growth and evolution of the company. Uh, and it's been a really exciting journey. It feels like that's a very competitive business. Um, the, the food, the wellness, uh, business, there's a lot of, a lot of dollars there, but also a lot of companies that are, that are seeking, uh, those customers. Um, I imagine that would make the, the customer experience work and very, very interesting. It is. No, it definitely is. And I think, you know, I think for me, what, what's so powerful is, as you said, I mean, there are a lot of different competitors in the space. I mean, I think one thing that sets the car apart is that, you know, the food is ready made. So rather than having to do any prep work yourself, like a daily or a blue apron or plated or some of these other you know companies, it all comes ready made for you. So we like to say it's kind of, you know, taking the, the brain work out of healthy eating and kind of being your personal chef and nutritionist rolled into one. Um, but I think what's been super rewarding for me being on the client experience side is, is really, you know, getting to hear the, the testimonials that come in every single day of how Sakara has just really helped to change people's lives, whether it's helped them heal from a chronic illness or whether it's given them more time in their day to spend with their families or to focus on their jobs. And so I think for me, that's just what's been so rewarding is to, you know, really get to hear firsthand the effects of, of what the Sakara mission is, which is to help transform people's lives and getting to hear how Sakara has done that for people has been really powerful. 
So Sarah, I want to I want to stick with you for this next question um, to get us started. Um, had you thought about an MBA for a, a long time? It mentioned, you mentioned that maybe you kind of kicked around the idea and you finally decided to, to take the plunge and move forward with it. I mean, what, what originally put an MBA on, on your radar? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, I think for me, I, you know, like I said, I, I did not think if you had asked me, you know, 10 years ago where I would be today, I would have told you that I would be a practicing pediatrician. You know, I would be in the medical world. I did not at all envision myself in the business world, let alone at a startup. Um, And so I think for me, it was just, you know, I have come to just find a job and a position, a company that I love. And while I've been able to learn so much on the job, and I've had incredible mentors that work at our company, a lot of our leadership team at Sakara have all done their MBAs. So I've been able to work and be mentored by these incredible women who have gone on, who have done, who've done an MBA um, and have that business background. And so I think while I've learned a lot at Sakara and on the job, also in talking to them, it's made me realize there's still so much I didn't know and there was still so much to learn. And I think that's where I just was excited to, you know, take myself to that next level of, of getting that MBA to really just give me, you know, the confidence that I need in my career to better understand the business fundamentals and, um, you know, and just and just have that confidence in this kind of newfound position or newfound, you know, area that I found myself in. Um, and like I said, it's been it's been great. So, so yes, I have been thinking about it for a while, and then you know, when I finally decided after talking to several people, both at Sakara outside of Sakara, decided to to pull the trigger and do it. Nate, had you thought about an MBA for a while? I imagine when you talk to people in the restaurant business, there's probably just many folks who've just kind of learned by by doing. Um, is, is an MBA super common? Yeah, no, it, it is not. Um, and for me, for the longest time, I was definitely in the camp of, you know, when I got done in undergrad, I was done with school, man. I, I did not want to pick up a textbook. I was I was not an academic All-American or anything like that. I was I was ready to be done. So it took me a long time to even think about possibly going back to school. Um, and then obviously, when you're when you're own and operate and you're starting a company and you're working in entrepreneurial businesses, like there's not, that's just like every day is, is firefighting, right? I mean, you're, you're putting out fires constantly. Um, and you know, there's not necessarily a ton of time that you're just sitting back and like, you know, pondering what, what your next, you know, four years want to look like. I mean, some days you, you don't have time to think about what the four minutes in front of you are going to look like. And so not necessarily, but you know, what really shifted for me is, um, a couple of years ago, I'd started to think, you know, because I, I, I knew enough to know that based with what my undergrad degree was, which is public relations, there was a lot I didn't know about business. And I'd figured that out in working with in small businesses and then opening my own company. Um, there was still a lot I didn't know. And so I knew that, you know, getting an MBA would have value from that standpoint. Uh, and then all of a sudden you layer in what happens in March of 2020, the pandemic breaks out, COVID happens. And I remember sitting at the house and being like, man, this this is going to be a game changer for every industry across the board. Like everybody's going to have to grapple with this. Obviously, the restaurant industry, I mean, there's been tons of press about how that's affected our industry. But, um, you know, just in every industry is going to have to deal with this. And so I was like, you know, getting an MBA and the options that it presents and the learnings, because you can take what you're going to learn in all of your MBA classes and from that degree and you could, there's so much optionality and how you can use it and lever it that I was like, man, this makes a ton of sense right now, 
probably to really think about this because because we weren't growing so aggressively as a company that you know you couldn't get it done. And, and I, I've heard you other people on the podcast. I mean, you know, there's never like a super convenient time to just jump in and go get a an MBA, right? Um, so it's kind of one of those things where for for my wife and I and our family, it was like you know. Yeah, I think now is probably as good a time as any to to start thinking about that. And if you want to go do it, you know, while the kids are still young and all that, this is probably a good time to go do it. But um, yeah, yeah, I feel like the, there obviously been so much said about the the restaurant business over the past uh, couple of years, and went from a time where you couldn't really have people in your dining room uh, safely, or at least not a lot of people. I think that's one of the big challenges for restaurants is like social distance guidelines to capacity way down and um, just people's comfort level too with dining out um, early in the pandemic, probably wildly disparate uh, depending on where you were. Um, so now I guess it maybe feels, is, does it feel like kind of returning to you know, how, you know, how you were operating pre-pandemic from a diner standpoint had a number of people coming through? I mean, where, where do you feel like you are with all of that? I, I definitely, yes. It, for the most part, we're, we're back to normal. You know, one of the interesting things we were, we were looking at this the other day um, in our particular business, and I'll kind of tie this out to the macro of the restaurant industry. Um, prior to COVID, we were probably 15 to 18% to go in our business. So we are, it was, it was a portion and a, and a pretty decent portion of our business. And, and obviously that lended itself well to when COVID happened, you could only do uh, carry out and to go like that was already a, a piece of our business. Um, but now as you know, people have, have kind of adjusted and, and consumer habits have changed and all that, you know, our carry out and to go business is now 35, 37%. Um, and that's really staggering to me that that there's been that much acceleration from a consumer preference side that quickly. Um, and, and that's really overall, that's kind of, that's a little bit below industry average. The things I've read is it's somewhere closer to 40%, which is just wild to me that that much, that, that has been that much of a shift and that rapidly, you know, I mean, with, with DoorDash and Uber Eats and all that, I mean, that's stuff that I would have told you five years ago, man, this is five, 10 years off from really getting, you know, massively adopted by consumers. And, and here we are. I mean, it, it is just, it is ubiquitous to the industry and everybody is doing it. And you better have an answer for how you're building brand on those platforms. I mean, it's just been really interesting how quickly the landscape has shifted. Yeah. It's amazing to me, the explosion of delivery services. Um, there were, there was already in motion pre pandemic, but you're right that the pandemic accelerated adoption of a lot of this and maybe even changed people's preferences. Um, the idea that, you know, maybe some people just prefer to eat at home and, and, Versus going out to a restaurant, um, it's it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how that tracks. But that's a lot of growth. Like operationally, that would be challenging, I would think. Because like, how do you how do you basically manage all those to go orders so that like they're not wildly disruptive of the in restaurant service? Well, you know, Brett, like you're a uh, maybe other podcast listeners know this. You're you're an ex Chick Fil A guy, and so um, shout out to Chick Fil A in Charlotte. But, um, you know, what's interesting is like, if you think about, cause this is the other piece of, of that puzzle, right? So you think about Chick-fil-A, they have traditionally gone and, and done a ground lease on a space, built a freestanding building with a drive through, um, and they have a dining room. And so what's interesting to me is, all right, for brands like that, how does their real estate strategy and how does this change for them operationally? Because 
if you're Chick-fil-A, I mean, you drive past them all over. Nobody's going to the dining room anymore. So you're building these spaces or you have all of these buildings that, you know, across your real estate portfolio and you don't need that 2000 square feet. All you need is the drive through lanes and the kitchen space. I mean, I see all you can look through the windows in these dining rooms, these Chick-fil-A's and they're just dry storage for cups and to go boxes and stuff. And like, that's a massive change that I think our industry is going to have to grapple with in the years ahead is how, you know, what types of real estate you, you pursue, what your actual needs are. And all of that is, is I think in large part a byproduct of COVID um, and just how it's accelerated that. Sarah, I wonder what the pandemic has meant for uh, your, your work. Um, did people start adopting? adopting like Sakara Life or, you know, taking advantage of more of these kind of like home delivery that kind of building on what Nate shared in terms of what his business is seeing. Yes. No, we've definitely seen something similar. And, you know, I feel like we were very blessed during COVID that it actually really accelerated our business, you know, and I think that the model that we have just lends itself so well to that, that environment where when people are at home and they're not traveling and they don't want to go out to the grocery store, you know, they can order Sakara and it literally comes delivered right to your doorstep. Um, so you don't have to, to go out. Everything is there for you. And, um, and so if anything, yes, we saw, we saw a lot of growth during, during the past two years. Um, and I just think people, you know, a lot of times before, but, you know, pre-COVID when everyone's out doing business dinners and they're traveling for work, sometimes it was, it was harder for them to order a meal plan because they didn't know exactly where they were going to be and they didn't want to waste the, the meals. But when everyone's home, it was kind of the perfect answer uh, for their needs. And so it, it we did similar, um, saw, saw a lot of growth and, uh, feel very fortunate. So, you know, it was, it was hard for a lot of people, um, but we feel like we were able to really serve a lot of people during that time. And if anything, people really wanted to make sure that they were eating healthy um, and kind of put more of an emphasis on, on their health and just feeling good in their bodies, when, especially when they're home and maybe not able to be as active as they used to be. So really turning to food to help them feel better. Well, I wonder, Nate, as you consider, you know, MBA programs, you know, what about Darden in specific ret- resonated with you what what led you to say this is where i'd like to like to be yeah for me i mean I, um as i started kind of my exploration process at first i was starting from the point of i didn't really even know what an executive program was and it was your counterpart Catherine alford that kind of you know educated me on that where after talking to her she was so gracious to listen to me talk and she was like you know i actually think you might be a really good candidate for our executive program we thought about that so once I started researching that, I mean, there's so many things about Darden um, that we don't have time to, to get into on this podcast that they have done so well. But one of the things I really appreciate about what the program has done, especially for this executive format, is y'all have really thought about the end consumer and how it affects them. And so for me, you know, I can get on a plane in Birmingham and have a direct flight into DCA, be there in two hours. And I'm like eight or 10 minutes from Sands Family Ground, SSG, as you'll hear it called. And then, you know, the hotel that we stay at is right around the corner. You know, I I just think for me, when you started and then you kind of layer on top of that, what Darden is as a brand, um, how it resonates and plays in the Deep South uh, across multiple industries and the respect that it carries. I mean, it really was just like and I've had friends that have gone there and I think a ton of of the type of individuals that they are and, and uh, they're really, really smart guys. And so it was like, man, this is uh, 
this would be a great place if I could if I could be involved and get into this place. Sarah, how about you? I, I know you were already familiar with UVA from your undergraduate experience, so you are uh, or will be a double who. Um, what yes. what about Darden? Darden in particular resonated with you. Yes. Well, you know, as you mentioned, having gone to UVA undergrad, I just I know the caliber of of what UVA has to offer. And I, you know, was naturally my first choice. Um, definitely excited towards, work, you know, working towards this double who. But I think for me, kind of, you know, I think three main reasons that really stood out. And, you know, as I mentioned, I've been able to talk to um, students who had done Darden in the past. In fact, our former um, head of operations at Sakara is a Darden grad. And so I spent a lot of time talking with her and, you know, the, the three things that really stood out to me as I was considering one is um, just, you know, the caliber of the professors. And this was something that I heard so many alums mention is just, you know, these these professors that are at Darden, like they're not just there for their own sake, but they're really there because they care about students and they really want you to learn. And I remember thinking, wow, that sounds so nice. And now that I'm actually there and like have seen this in practice, I totally get what they're where what they mean by that, where, you know, I've just been so impressed at how, you know, at, at these professors that we've had and how they really truly want to get to know you on a personal level. And, you know, when we're doing our OGR weekends and we're all sitting having breakfast or having lunch and they'll come and pull up a chair and sit right next to you at the table and just have a conversation that's not related necessarily even to the subject matter, but just to get to know them and they get to know us. So I think that's something that I've, you know, been so impressed by and something that really, you know, stood out to me as I was talking to you know, former students. Also, I just think the network um, that you get from from Darden and just getting to meet so many different people with different back backgrounds is really something that will just last a lifetime. Um, and then also, I was really drawn to the case study method. I think you know, I know Harvard and and Darden are the two business schools that use this case study method, and I just think it's such a powerful way to learn. Um, and so, those were definitely some. I would say ten of the top three kind of big considerations that really stood out to me as I was weighing some different options and um, talking to, to former students. So Sarah, you, you came to Darden, you're now basically, I mean, basically through four quarters, you, you've got uh, exams on the horizon, but uh, approaching the midpoint, as, as, we, as we discussed earlier, um, you know, what was the adjustment process like being back in school, um, trying to figure out how to do work, life, and, and school all at the same time? Yeah, you know, it it was definitely an adjustment. Um, I think I, I feel very blessed that, you know, my employer, Sakara has given me so much flexibility, um, which is great and have just been so supportive of my doing this program and, and really, you know, I, I will say, if anything, it's been a good exercise for me because I think prior to Darden, I could very easily find myself working 10, 12 hour days sometimes where I would be working late at night. And once Darden rolled around and I finished that LR1 and I was like, there's no way that I can pull these 10 hour days and do class and study and somehow sleep in between all of that. And so I've had to become really kind of diligent about just like blocking off my calendar. And that's what I've done. I literally at 530 every day, I block my calendar and it's like no meeting schedule, no calls, but this is like now my Darden kind of protected time. So either using it for class or using it to, to study. Um, and I've just had to become just, I think, much more conscientious about time management in general. Um, and just like when I'm 
you know, at work between my working hours, every minute counts and I've got to be laser focused on what I need to get done. And then I just have to switch between work and school. Um, and so it's really just been a good forced exercise into time management and just getting better about kind of blocking my calendar and, and having that time um, for school and for class. So it's actually been very helpful for me. I feel like it's given me a little bit more of a work-life balance in some ways. So I can believe that because, you know, one of the pretty common points of discussion when students reflect on this is the fact that it forces you to be a lot more efficient with mm-hmm. how you use your time. You, you had that, you lose that elasticity of like, well, this task could take this much time and who knows, I've just got a lot more available hours in the day. You, you add school to the mix. You're trying to figure out how to find maybe 15 or so hours during the week to do school related activities. Mm-hmm. You lose that, you lose some of that flexibility. So that, that totally makes sense. Nate, how about for you? Um, you come to Darden, brand new sort of first year student what what was that like it was a kick in the teeth for your boy at first i'm going to be honest um it was definitely an adjustment being back in school for the first time in 10 years um but you know it's it's interesting like to your point i think there's kind of that funny uh saying about how work sometimes will ebb and flow to the time that's allowed for it and i think that's very much been the case and to sarah's point like you know, I've, I've had to, uh, I'm a, a procrastinator probably more so than I would care to admit. And, but I've had to get much, much better about that. And, um, you know, the first two quarters, I'm not going to lie. It was a, it was a real adjustment, uh, or the first three quarters, you know, it was, it was, I mean, it was just trying to really figure out how to do this, how to chew on it, how to make, you know, spin all the different plates. But thankfully I, I, I was just so fortunate to have, I've had a great learning team, um, and, and, you know, that's kind of one of the things that I remember y'all saying about how valuable that is to be able to learn, be able to lean and learn from those other people in your group and in your class. And, um, that has certainly been the case for me. I mean, this really is, and that's kind of to Sarah's point about the case method. Like that's one of the really special things about the Darden classroom. I think in the whole experience is it's such a collaborative effort, um, because there is no possible way with, you know, you're, you're, you're working full time. Uh, for myself and a lot of other people, you've got wife or husband, kids, like family requirements. Now you're adding school in the mix. And this is not some like powder puff school deal. Like, I mean, this is real, you know, really thought provoking stuff. I mean, you know, you, you're taking accounting and finance, but then you're taking, you know, different type of challenge, but leadership classes and, and things that are very thought provoking as far as, you know, you're in a real world situation. How would you handle this? And um, it's really amazing the learning that happens in that classroom and what you draw from other people's experiences that you can then add those tools to your toolbox. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been an, an adjustment. I feel like now, you know, I've kind of gotten my sea legs a little bit here in quarter four and, and we'll see how, how I do going forward. But uh, yeah, it's, it was an adjustment. So Nate, I want to stick with you uh, for a follow-up question about what you shared. And you know, we've had a lot of a lot of webinars about balancing work, life, and school, and a lot of questions about, you know, how do you do this with a with a young family? How old are your kids? Ten, seven, and three. So we are wide open in the Carlson household. How, how what do they think about your being back in school? Um, so the the oldest, Gemma, she thinks it's hilarious because I'll be doing school at night while, you know, she's trying to do her homework. Um, Caleb and, and Judah, the, the younger two, they're kind of like, ah, whatever. I mean, you know, they don't like 
Judah Grace is our our youngest at three, and she's very much um, she's she doesn't quite understand like because she goes to daycare every day, so she doesn't understand why Daddy some weekends goes to class, but then he's little. She calls me little Daddy on Facetime when I talk to her, and so she doesn't really understand a hundred percent why Daddy his school he doesn't come back at night sometimes when he goes to school, but um, it's 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 been fun. That's one of the. Favorite, one of my favorite things about when parents with young kids uh, or younger kids do the program um, is that the kids invariably like contextualize their parents' experience to like their own experience. So like sometimes Correct. when kids are of a certain age, they're in school too. And like, they're like, oh, that's cool. I've got school as well. That's uh, yeah, I definitely, I cannot, I relate, you know, <laughs> like one of those things. I, it's it's so, so good. Um, and um, it's probably nice for your, for your 10 year old to, to feel like you know, somebody else in this house has homework too. Can I understand what I'm dealing with out here? Yeah. She's hyped when she sees me sweating over like accounting that Shane Nicole's throwing on me or something. I mean, she's, she's hyped when she gets done with her homework faster than I do. She's like, ha, ah, see, I got you. I'm good. I'm going to watch TV now. <laughs> I appreciate that. So, um, so I want to talk a little bit about, you know, extracurricular engagement. I think one of the things that's surprising to prospective students, you know, so much of what you know, people are weighing as they're thinking about the decision to go back to school and pursue an MBA through an executive format is like, how am I going to make this work you know, from a time standpoint? We've already talked about that here on the podcast. But I think one of the things that's also true for some Darden students is people add more things uh, to their plate related to their student experience. And and we've had a growing number of executive MBA clubs and organizations. There's opportunities for student leadership um, in a variety of ways, including a, a newly formed within the past couple of years, Executive Student Association, an equivalent organization to the full-time MBA Darden Student Association. So the DSA on the full-time MBA side, the ESA on the executive MBA side, we had the, the first ESA president and executive vice president on the podcast last year, Sean Taylor and Catriona Stadler Ayer. And you're the second uh, such leaders uh, for, for the Executive Student Association. Sarah, how did you decide you know, that you wanted to add leadership and, and service in this way uh, into your, your program experience? Yeah, well, you know, I think for me, you know, ever really since high school. And then when I was an undergrad at UVA, I've always been involved in student leadership. Um, and so it's just something that I really enjoy. It's something that I'm passionate about. And so when the opportunity presented itself, I was excited to partner with Nate and, you know, just kind of decided to throw our names in the hat and, um, you know, see about getting involved. And I had started out prior to ESA, you know, on one of the first year committees that um, that was offered. And so I was working on the outreach committee, also really passionate about service and, and community service projects. And so I had um, worked with a great group of other classmates on the outreach committee in the beginning. Um, and then from there, you know, when we found out about these, these ESA positions, that's when, um, you know, Nate and I had, had chatted and decided to, to uh, put our name in the hat. And so, um, you know, just something I've always been really passionate about. And I think in a way it's really exciting in, in, in some ways that, you know, this, this ESA program is so new. I think there's just so many opportunities to really, kind of mold and shape it and so many different directions that we can take. And I know 
Nate and I already have, I think, just like a whole list of ideas, you know, that kind of running through our minds of, of things that, that we've talked about, things that classmates have shared with us. Um, so I'm just really excited at all the runway and the potential that this has um, and really kind of starting from at the very beginning. Um, I mean, having seen that from my startup days of like starting up the company it was super small and just like the whole, you know, runway that was ahead of us and this potential that we had to really kind of turn the car into what it is today. And I think in the same way, there's a, a, such a parallel between that and kind of where we are with ESA as this newfound organization that has so much potential for growth and evolution and just really excited to kind of be at the very beginning of that um, and to work alongside Nate and all these other incredible student leaders and club leaders um, and really making it the best we can be. And Nate, how about for you? Um, you've got a full plate already, but student leadership, that's something that appealed to you. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I would just tack on to what Sarah is saying. I mean, one of the the unique things about Darden, because and part of the reason why that runway she's talking about exists is because the faculty and the staff and the professors are really engaged in what did this what's on the students' minds? What is important to them? And what and, and maybe what was important to them last year may not necessarily be the exact same things that are important to this class. And so, like, when you know that that's the type of leadership and that's the tone that's getting set from the top, um, it makes it really easy to want to get involved. And then you couple that and kind of overlay that with you've got this unbelievable cohort of people um, that you're associated and around. And, you know, you want to serve them and help ensure that everyone's experience in the cohort, because we're all making sacrifices. We're all taking time away from things that we could be spending with families and, you know, work, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, you want to make sure that the time, the, the short amount of time we have here is providing the most value to everybody. And so I, I just think it's it was a, it was a no brainer to be able to serve in that capacity or, or, you know, and then obviously we were fortunate that that our classmates thought enough of us to to think that we do well there. But, um, you know, it's it's this is the second time I think in my life that I've been fortunate enough. I saw a lot of that at Alabama when Coach Saban came in, and it was an interesting time because he was the type of leader that took input from his staff and from his players as to how to make the organization better and how to set the tone for the organization. And we, they do a lot of those same things at Darden. And it's really interesting uh, to, to now see both of those things kind of in parallel, and it really makes for special organizations, I think. And, and that's that's one of the things about this place. I think Sarah would agree. I mean, this is it's a special time to be in this program with uh, with being in the DC area there's so much going on there just in general but we're adding in this part-time program that's really exciting you know we have the executive program obviously i mean it's it's just a very cool time to be here in this building in a post covid world where like i said earlier all the industries are kind of uh grappling with how leadership is going to move forward and what business is going to look like moving forward. So, Yeah, you're, you're right, Nate, that this is an exciting time for Darden in the D.C. metro area. So we've gone from, I, I sort of considered myself the unofficial oral historian for our efforts here. So to the extent that anybody ever wants to hear the full story, I'm prepared. Uh, but um, the quick summary is we went from one section of executive MBA students way back in August, September of 2016. So the class of 2018 was the first section that even had Roslyn as an option. So we went from 60 executive MBA students 
to now having an executive MBA program that's fully based in, in Roslyn with, you know, touch points in Charlottesville. You still will get time there on, on the grounds of the university and the Darden School in Charlottesville. Um, but we have a part-time MBA program. The inaugural cohort will start this August. We also have a specialized master's, the MSBA, that is offered in partnership with the McIntyre School of Commerce. That also operates out of Sands Family Ground. So again, from maybe zero or, or 60 students, however, depending on when you want to set that time marker to come this August, we'll have about 400 students across all these programs. Uh, learning out of Sands Family Grounds. And so for students looking at the program, looking at any of these programs, it's an exciting time. This is a real growth center for the school and such a tremendous network of Darden alumni and UVA alumni here in the D.C. area as well. There's 1,900 plus Darden alumni. In terms of UVA, I'm just going to say something, a rough number of like tens of thousands because <laughs> there's I mean, a lot. There's yeah. a lot. Uh, yes. Um, a completely unscientific number of a lot. But nevertheless, uh, there are quite a few people up here. It's the largest alumni chapter for both Darden and, and UVA. Of course, there's Darden and UVA alumni all over the world, um, but a strong representation here in the D.C. area. So a um, lot, lot happening. So, um, Nate, as you look ahead, um, you know, what's to come? I mean, so you're rounding out your first year, moving into the second year, starting to take the the reins, ESA, you and Sarah, and the other members of the team, um, looking and planning things uh, to support executive MBA students. Um, what's a priority for you? What what, do you, what are y'all thinking about? I, I think one of the things that Sarah and I have talked a lot about is, you know, this, this engagement piece with, um, like you said, the part-time program, the executive program, obviously, you know, we've got the class of 23. We're about to roll in the class of 24. Um, and then, you know, because there are touch points in Charlottesville, what does some of that look like? Because there's a lot of resources that are in Charlottesville, um, along with the students, the full-time residential students that are there, you know, and so the engagement across the, the brand as a whole, right? And, and the kind of unofficial term I've been using is thinking about it as one Darden. And so, like, how do we continue to engage and work with all of these different folks because everybody's talented and everybody has different things and, and viewpoints and connections and things like that to, to continue to kind of raise the entire experience and uh, the, the network for everybody across, you know, DC area, the Northeast, the South, because there's a ton of people, there's a ton of Virginia in the Southeast that, that maybe folks don't think about is naturally. Uh, being in the D.C. area. But, man, it is rare that I go through the Birmingham airport and don't hear a wahoo wah, which is interesting, you know, that the brand plays like that that far south. So That's great. And one of the things we've been talking with part-time students and also, I would say, exec students generally is this experience is what you want to make of it. Like if, you know, you get out of what you put into this and hopefully the people that are listening to this recognize that like, this is not going to be one of those MBA programs where you just come and go home and come and go home that you're going to bring a lot. Ideally, you're bringing a lot more energy to the experience. You're interested in getting to know, know your classmates and invest in those relationships and expand beyond your program. You know, this is also one of the things we've been pitching to the part-time students. It's very important, you know, for that inaugural cohort to realize, yes, you've got your immediate class, but you have all these other students also learning out of Sam's Family Grounds. It's great to hear that that's something that's that's very much on your minds. Um, Sarah, uh, other things that are sort of guiding y'all as you kind of plan or think about what's to come? Uh, well, no, I mean, I think, you know, Nate really 
said it well. And um, I just think in general, it's just, you know, how do we just really continue to build this strong culture? I mean, I think we just have such an amazing, we have such amazing students in our class who just have incredible backgrounds and just really fostering this environment where we're all just learning from one another. And, and I think, you know, it's not just about the ideas that, that Nate and I have, but really, you know, encouraging the voice of every single person to speak up because, you know, already we've had incredible ideas coming from classmates and just how do we continue that momentum and, you know, realizing that obviously our time is limited, we can't do it all. And so, you know, but prioritizing those things that we really think matter, matter most and will have the the greatest impact, um, but just really encouraging everyone to speak up and to share it. Cause at the end of the day, like, like you said, it's like, we, you know, we know everyone is busy and we really want to try for people to get the most out of this in these short two years that we're here that we possibly can. And, and so I think just, you know, if anything, really just continuing to, to serve as advocates um, on behalf of the class. Uh, and I think it's just been so encouraging already and meeting with, you know, the exec team and the leadership team at just how open and receptive they are and want to be collaborative and working with us. Um, and that's just really exciting. And I think there's a lot that we can accomplish uh, in the year or so that we have left. So really excited to to kick into high gear and see what we can do before we, we pass the baton. I mean, the, Brett, I, yeah, was just, ahead, I was just going to say like that last thing that Sarah said is really, that has been such a surprise to me and I guess it shouldn't have been but like if you're sitting you're sitting in the room with like Yael and Yael who is just brilliant and I have so much respect for and she's going well what do y'all think about how we should do x y or z right I mean that level of engagement and this is not like this is a program that obviously doesn't have a ton of things figured out and dialed in I mean Darden we none of us would be sitting here if it was not what it is right And, and the work that's already been done but I think that's just an amazing thing that they are, that the leadership is humble enough to be like, we want to hear from you about what your thoughts are. And you have things that are you're bringing to the table that maybe are a different perspective or things that we haven't thought about and amplifying those voices. It's just been, I mean, it's, it's, it's been really, really unbelievable. You know, occasionally prospective students will ask us some variation of the question of like, you know, what, what would you change about the program or, like, what, what do you think are really the things the program should be thinking about? And it's so funny. The things that were on my mind, you know, when I started here, um, each successive class comes through and says something like, have you ever thought about doing this or trying that? And then it gets adopted. So I'll, I'll point out a few examples. So we went through the integration of the two formats and the launch of the Roslyn section and kind of arriving at this Friday, Saturday, Sunday schedule, the weekend residencies and you know, all of that, I think, created a, a lot of possibility for the program. And then, you know, when you integrated the formats, we had the feedback previously from Gemba students. They wanted a larger network. They wanted electives. Well, they got those uh, through the integration of the two formats. Executive MBA students, the feedback was, well, you know, we would love to have more global options. Is there a way to do that? And so now we're at a place where we previously had four global residency locations. Now we're up to potentially 12, you know, COVID and global travel permitting, uh, spanning all major continents, at least in, in planning phase. You know, right now, we most have been tra- traveling to Europe, and it sounds like South America is going to be added. Executive MBA students previously shared, we like more elective offerings, and, and we, would like, we would like electives that maybe aren't like, totally on the, the 
you know, weekend residency, distance class schedule? Can you do week-long electives? Is there a way to do global content without actually having to travel uh, to the locations? And now we have week-long electives that are offered in between quarters, you know, during the global travel periods. Maybe when the uh, students are, are not traveling, if they're not on that global global residency trip, we now have global virtual courses. Uh, we had a group of students in the class in 2021 who really pushed the program to think about how to give executive MBA students opportunities to demonstrate kind of a specialization or that they've acquired a, a certain expertise or they have an interest in an area. And, and we arrived at focus areas. Uh, concentration might be a little bit too high of a barrier for most executive MBA students, given that you take 12 elective courses as an executive MBA student. Concentration at Darden requires six courses. But we arrived at these focus areas across seven different disciplines, essentially, and then you take three classes within one of those, those disciplines and you're in that focus area. That was directly in response to student feedback. And I had a chance to participate in those conversations. And it was a lot of the students reporting out survey, feedback, market analysis to faculty, program leadership, career and admissions was also sharing perspectives. Like it's a fascinating thing to see a school talk so much about stakeholder engagement and then actually do it. And, so all this is a very long-winded way of saying like all the things that like I used to think like, gosh, it would be great if we could solve this or that or the other thing. Students have helped us solve them and really kind of push the program to say like, what about this? And the program has been very receptive to that. And, and guess what, Brett? Because, you know, Darden's done that now and think about the runway that they have set up for themselves moving forward where a lot of higher education is having to grapple with massive shifts and changes. And Darden, in my opinion, is already so much further ahead of a lot of other really, really big prominent brands. And they are just poised to take advantage of the market and what's going to happen in the next 5, 10, 15 years. I think it's really impressive. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we asked the same last question of all of our, our guests. Um, Nate, I wonder if you kick us off here. What's a piece of advice you would share with our, our prospective student listeners? Hmm. Uh, I'll give two, if I may. The first would be do it. Jump out of the airplane and build a parachute on the way down. You know, just go ahead, apply, uh, try it out. Um, And and the other one would be, um, to me, I think it's really important because if you're thinking about this program and you have family members, loved ones, friends, whatever it is, Get buy-in from those people and and make sure that they understand what are the time commitments. Hey, are we all good with this? You know, um, because it really is. It is a collaborative effort. Like on the same side of the academic experience with your learning teams and your your cohort and you're sitting in the class doing case method. It's that same collaborative deal to me on, on the family and home front. And I think it's really important to have all of those people bought into this deal for you because you need that support network on both sides. And so for me, I think it's go ahead and talk and over communicate with those people about what you're thinking about, why you want to do it, why it's important to you and making sure it's the right time for for everybody that's involved in in the journey and the process with you. Yeah, it's a great, great point. And we encourage people to have those conversations early, uh, but also often and continue them after matriculation because it's one thing to describe the program on the front end, you know, and to say, I think it's going to be this. I think it's going to look like this. These are the general you know, time commitments, the nature of the schedule. 
But then when you actually get into it every every week, every every quarter, you know, however you want to think about it, it presents a, a new challenge. You know, life doesn't stay static. Everything that that's going on will continue to move. And of course, the program, some classes might be harder than others. You may need more time to kind of get ready for certain for certain courses than others. And that's all part yeah, of the you, ongoing ongoing dialogue. You get in that quarter system. That's the first time I've ever experienced it, man. And it flies which is great. I love it because it moves really, really quick and it's super interesting, but man alive, that, that is an adjustment. So you better have some folks on board <laughs> that are ready to do it with you because it is going to roll. All right, Sarah, you get the last word here. A uh, piece of advice that you would share. Well, I agree with everything Nate says. Um, I would say, you know, it's funny. I feel like that quote, I think they use it more with children um, about, you know, the days are long, but the years are short. And I feel like in some ways that really is so applicable to this program where, you know, kind of when you're in the middle of it, it just seems like it's never ending and you've got a million cases to read before OGR. How am I ever going to get it done? And yet I think we're going to blink our eyes. And like I said, we're going to be at graduation. So I think in that light, I would say just enjoy every minute and like seize the opportunities. You know, I think that we are just in such a unique position right now where we're never going to have this opportunity to be around 140 amazing people from all these different backgrounds, have exposure to this amazing faculty, um, to this amazing, you know, just darted network. And I think just really taking full advantage of it, you know, and, and just jumping in and say yes, and just do it because it's going to blink and it's going to be over. And I just think that this is such a unique opportunity. And so, you know, if you're, ten, you know, it's like, I think something I've had to learn myself is I may not necessarily get to read every single case line by line, but if it means that like, I get to go out and have dinner with my learning team or go to this Nats game or to me, that's where there's such value. It's, it's in these relationships that you're, you're forming and, and the friendships that you're making. It's like, that's what I'm going to remember at the end of this. Probably not every single line that I read in a case, you know, I can't even remember what I read yesterday. So I bet I, I do remember the memories and the friendships and the relationships that we're building here. And I just think that that's something that's so important and just don't, don't, don't let those opportunities go um, while you're here. Yeah, two, two thoughts related to what you just shared. One, I interviewed the consortium liaisons on the Experience Darden podcast, so our, our full-time MBA podcast, and they shared the exact same advice, just to say yes. And the other thing that they shared that I thought was really interesting for students is to like do try to seek out things that are maybe not as natural for you or, you know, a little bit beyond like, you know, what you would naturally gravitate towards to stretch yourself in this way. And I really think about this a lot with our executive MBA students because just the social dynamic. I think there's a tendency to kind of maybe try to find your friend group and that's your that's your group. And that's just how people function in large organizations. But there's only like 140 students in your entire class. Like you could easily have lunch with a different group of people, you know, every on-grounds residency over the course of, of your 21 months in the program. Like that kind of intentionality. I always want students to think about that because you know, you want the network to be as big. You want to have as many, as many meaningful relationships as you can. And then, you know, the the other thing that I that I think is is really interesting as as students approach this is just kind of giving yourself some grace, like um, recognizing that like this is not about this is not about being perfect. This is about learning as much as you can and really trying to soak up this experience. And I will say, 
um, Sarah, and, and, and you and, and my colleague Catherine uh, know know each other from the prior prior life, and I, I keep track of where you and your classmates go to eat dinner together via Catherine. I, uh-huh. I will say y'all do a great job of getting out there and building relationships and, and really enjoying all that DC has to offer. It's clear that that's something that, that y'all really enjoy and, and that's fantastic to see. Yes, no, for sure. And and I love what you said about show yourself grace. I, I, I use that phrase, you know, so often um, because, you know, it's like, I have to stop and remind myself. It's like, we're all doing a lot. You know, because sometimes I'm like, why am I so tired? And it's like, well, you're working a full-time job. You're going to school on top of everything else of life. And you do, you have to show yourself grace. Um, and I think it is like drinking from a fire hose, but somehow amazing how it, it sticks. <laughs> um, and I think you're you're learning more than even you realize um, what, what's being absorbed. So, Well, Sarah, Nate, thank you so much for, for coming on, on the podcast. It's been so much fun catching up with the both of you and uh, hopefully I'll see you for your next weekend residency. I think uh, the next one is in May if, if memory serves and that's going to be an auspicious occasion because we have our first in-person meetup for the incoming students in our executive MBA class of 2024, uh, the part-time cohort that starts uh, this August as well. They're all going to have an evening out in Roslyn. I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having us, Brett. This was awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much. And that was my interview with Sarah Beauchamp and Nate Carlson, two first-year students in our Executive MBA class of 2023. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We could be reached at exec, that's E-X-E-C, MBA at darden.virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.